Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Holy Vladimir, pray for us. That's the shocking and seemingly incongruous headline from the online version of Der Spiegel magazine, one of Europe's most respected news magazines. And it should grab our attention. Why should it grab our attention? Because there's a rise, a rising trend in Russia to lead people to pray to Vladimir Putin. Honoring the ex-KGB once and future president as a reincarnation of St. Paul. Yet it's true. It's true, friends. And it reflects a moral, spiritual, social, and nationalist yearning in Russia to regain global control and glory, regardless of the cost. So just try to enter into the Russian bosom for a moment. Broken-hearted, laden with despair since the Bolshevik Revolution a century ago, hopes had been crushed, faith dismembered, existing as a moral vacuum from which has been virtually sucked all vestiges of spiritual life and direction for four generations. And then along comes one, a seeming champion, in whose, uh, in, in those that are devoid of direction, and they can suddenly and vicariously live out their hopes and dreams for a resurrection of Russian glory. That is Vladimir Putin. Across Russia, popular affection for Putin has started returning to religious worship. Indeed, the country's top religious rabbi, Vera Lazar, swooned, that Russians had every reason to ask God to bless you. You saved hundreds and thousands of worlds, he said of Vladimir Putin, the influential influential deputy chief of the Kremlin administration sees Putin as a man whom fate and the Lord sent to Russia. That's a quote. So how broadly are these or similar sentiments waiting in the minds and hearts of long downtrodden people aspiring to return of national glory on the world stage? And just how deeply do these dramatically shifting sentiments reside now in Vladimir Putin, present in the popular and governmental imagination? One said he has the spirit of a czar in him. Prayerful pleas did not go unheard, at least to the 11,000 delegates and party members of the United Russia. At a party congress to usher Putin in as president, they cheered like true believers. And what amounted to a coronation mass. But regardless of the glowing and growing public worship, Mother Fotina believes the people have no real choice. Why? because she said God has appointed Putin to Russia to prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ, unquote. Sound interesting? Sound fascinating? Sound unbelievable? And yet it's true. That's what is believed, and we always say viewpoint determines destiny. So I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that uh, transforms, And those were the introductory words in chapter 18 of my book, King of the Mountain, the Bear versus the Pope. 
If you were to read that entire chapter, you would have to sit down and maybe strap yourself to your chair with a head harness to keep from actually jerking around in unbelief, disbelief, just strange thinking, you might think, coming from Russia. But you see, viewpoint determines destiny not only for Americans, but for Russians. And therein lies the quagmire that we face. And it also affects the entire concept of what Russian Christ and culture are about. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to discuss that. I wish we had hours to do it, because it is such an amazing story. And it will help us to understand perhaps a little bit more the dynamics of what is taking place even with regard to Russia and Ukraine. So to help us with the conversation, I've invited our good friend Michael Austin to rejoin us here on Viewpoint to talk about this. It happens to be the latest issue of Christian History magazine. Michael, it's so good to have you back on board. I'm thrilled to be with you. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for that extraordinary introduction to our subject. And I could not agree more. This will, uh, to do justice, would take um, hours of, of wonderful uh, uh, recalling of history that so many of us have lived through and are almost entirely, completely, at least in my case, um, uninformed and um, absolutely uh, uh, shocked and surprised to find out what has been going on uh, in this in this amazing account of the experience of Eastern Europe, not just Russia and mm-hmm. Ukraine, but Belarus and other nations that came about uh, with the fall of the Soviet Union. And, uh, you know, it's a reminder to me of how our Father in Heaven is working everywhere in the most extraordinary way. And is it not refreshing and also exhilarating to uh, to read these accounts of, uh, my goodness, um, terrible, terrible persecution of the Christians um, and turnarounds that... Uh, I, for one, never expected. Well, you know, it's interesting. uh, As I was reading uh, the magazine, uh, I think back to the time of the French Revolution. The French Revolution, back in the uh, right at the end of the 1700s, talked about liberty, equality, and fraternity. But in order to achieve that, they brought about the complete and unrestrained attack on all religion, and particularly the Christian faith. And uh, originally, it began as what was called the terror. Uh, the terror was not a good thing. It was, it was, a, it was terror. Uh, and the heads were rolling off of Madame Guillotine at the rate of maybe 20 a day. But then came a period called the Great Terror, The Great Terror multiplied the persecution dramatically, not just against Christians, but against all authority, period. 
that ended up resulting in the elevation of a lawyer to the title of Messiah. He served as Messiah for one day until he lost his head as well. Now, the interesting thing about this is that in Russia, they also had a great terror. Stalin came in and ushered in. There had always been terror, but now there was a great terror from 1937 to 1938, specifically targeting clergy and religious believers. In fact, the head of the secret police reported to Stalin that after just four months of their campaign, over 30,000 church people had been arrested, including 166 bishops, 9,000 priests, over 2,000 monks, and nearly 20,000 activist believers. Of those, the regime had already executed half of the clergy and a third of the believers, and the rest were sent to the gulag. What is this? We'll be back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we're taking a look at Christ and culture and the history of Russia. The legacy, the conflict, and so on. We have only 55 minutes or so in order to discuss this and try to get to the heart of the matter. I've laid out one of the great conflicts, obviously, that occurred with the Sovietization of Russia, starting with the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. But in 1939, the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany signed a secret pact, after which the Soviets occupied territories, listen to this, they occupied territories of western Ukraine, the Baltics, and Moldova. These regions included a large number of Orthodox churches, and many of the pastors or clergy in post-war Russian Orthodox Church therefore came from Western Ukraine. Now we begin to see the connection. Our special guest, Michael Austin, Michael it's very hard for us as Westerners and as Americans to have any kind of comprehension as to the depth of the issues uh, over which Russia attacked Ukraine. Ukraine is counterattacking Russia. When you go to the bottom of it all, it's religious, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's ancient. Um, it reminds me of the histories that are being uh, continuing to be fought in the Middle East. They, too, um, are doing things that are inexplicable to us. We can't understand these things because we don't know the history. And we certainly don't go that far back in history to find our motivation. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, so. it's territorial. Yes, it's governmental, 
but it's spiritual. And they all tangle together in one mass that's very hard to untangle unless you spend a little bit of time attempting to do that. And so today, hopefully, we're going to at least uh, make some uh, sense as we continue to look at the so-called Russian bear rising again. Uh, That was the headline after Russia was supposed to be doomed by all of the national headlines, all of the world headlines, that Russia had been doomed, and now it's risen again, Vladimir Putin being at its head. And uh, so it leads us then to understand that the real depth of spiritual history for Russia goes back to two things. One, the earliest being in Ukraine itself. Ukraine was the very heartthrob of, shall we say, greater Russian spirituality, wasn't it? Yes. Right there in Kiev. Well, uh, I think you're right. Um, I know you're right in that we in the West uh, cannot conceive of the depth of spirituality in life in general, and we, we, you know, struggle with this concept of the separation of church and state, which has been very perverted in our culture. Certainly. Um, yeah, resulting in the Balkanization, uh, pardon the pun, but um, of Christian life from public life in the West, and especially in America, where it is you know, been a disaster. But here we see uh, the the integration, a deep, deep integration of religious thought, practice, and spirituality throughout uh, the activity of the state, and uh, the state being uh, finally won by these Bolsheviks, uh, a small group of extremely violent uh, God haters, uh, I think we have to describe them. Well, we have we have a whole lot of Bolsheviks, uh, pardon the term, that have risen up in America now that are doing the same thing in America, uh, attacking yeah. the spirituality, attacking the government, attacking everything that we've stood for. Is are they this not like such, the Bolsheviks? Yes, yes, it, it's such a timely issue. Um, I, I just um, uh, thank the, uh, the vision of the uh, editors to bring this issue out uh, when I have. Because, uh, and this is a, a very uh, uh, great departure from their normal uh, editorial philosophy, uh-huh. which is uh, just, just the opposite, you know, to kind of ignore uh, what's going on in daily life and, and remind us of our great, great history, Christian history, uh, throughout the ages of the, uh, uh, you know, ref- primarily stemming from the Reformation uh, going forward. But uh, it, this is so timely, and we are seeing, we are seeing uh, how our culture today fits, fits all, all of these uh, articles. <laughs> it's like leading the Reading the daily newspaper. Well, it is, uh, and uh, 
The moment I saw this issue come across my desk, I, I told uh, my producer, I said, we must set this. Uh, this is absolutely perfect for this moment in time. And uh, I'm so glad that you and I were able to come together. How is your health doing? You were suffering greatly for some period of time. Have you made considerable improvement? I have very great news in that department. Um, and I'm uh, able to be quite active. I am speaking to you right now from uh, a, a private room, which I have the privilege to occupy, in an uh, organization called the Capital City Rescue Mission. Hmm. And it's in the heart of the capital of the state of New York, up here in northern New York State, Albany, New York, hmm. on the great Hudson River, surrounded by incredible history of, of this nation. And uh, guess what? They have asked me to serve as a chaplain. Wow. And, uh, oh, my goodness. Um, it, it has been... It's just a wonderful experience. Well, since you and I last talked, uh, this is this is an amazing change because you were virtually on your deathbed. Yes, I was. I came here invited by my son, um, and I'm so grateful to him, uh, knowing that I had a couple of months. We both thought that well, I had a couple of months uh, to live out, and he invited me to come stay on his property. Of course, I've been... Uh, as you know, I've been living in the RFU for about seven years. And so I brought it out here and uh, set up camp in, uh, let's see, early, uh, late September, early October. And mm. winter was coming. Mm-hmm. Winter was coming. And uh, after uh, a series of treatments um, that started back in Indiana with a new immunological medicine that is... Uh, only I think about uh, eight, ten years in the in in the making, mm-hmm. uh, which actually takes advantage of one's DNA. Uh, I don't thoroughly understand it, but after a couple of treatments, uh, they said this mask that we've been uh, monitoring is gone. Wow! Isn't that absolutely wonderful? We praise the Lord for that uh, because you Thank have been you. such a blessing to to me and uh, to our listeners here over the years. Now, let's get back to um, uh, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, there's an article in the latest issue of uh, Christian History magazine called The Backstory from Rus to the 1917 Revolution. Rus meaning being the early word used to describe greater Russia. And here it is. Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating. And I'm looking here at this language. Ukrainians, Russians, and Belarusians all trace their cultural and state origins to the early Rus principality that emerged in the ninth century around Kiev. It didn't start in Moscow. It didn't start in St. Petersburg. It started in Ukraine, in Kiev. The Grand Prince... Volodymyr, which is Russian for Vladimir, of Kiev, decided he needed an official religion to strengthen his rule. In nineteen, excuse me, in nine eighty eight A.D., Volodymyr was baptized in the Greek city in a Greek city and then returned to Kiev. 
he ordered the toppling of the statue of the pagan Gog Perun and the mass baptism of his people in the Dnipro River. And to this day, all Orthodox and Greek Catholic churches of the region regard the Kivian baptismal font as their birthplace. So his decision to set Rus on a geopolitical and cultural path with major implications. This became clear in 1054 A.D., just a few generations later, when the Roman and Greek Orthodox branches of Christianity official officially split, and it was called the Great Schism. So history is deeply, deeply uh, wound around this Ukrainian and Russian issue, and it did not start in Moscow. It started in Kiev. Yes, indeed. And isn't it fascinating? Now, I, I you know, thank you for painting that picture of uh, the, uh, you know, one of the beginning points of this story. And another article that's um, titled Beyond Copies, which is Past and Future in Russian Art and Culture, which I found so interesting, mm-hmm. um, brings that brings out that today, just just a, a few years ago, uh, um, in the uh, late 90s, a church was, uh, now the, the fall of the Soviet Union, Union was 1991. This is fairly recent history. Right. And uh, today, there is a temple that has been built um, in, in Moscow, and uh, of all things, it's a temple to Mars rather than an Orthodox church with military scenes. Okay, so now what you have is a resurrection of the spiritual heritage of Russia depicted in a cathedral, massive cathedral, um, uh, centered around Mars. And the military, uh, you know, paintings, iconography is alive and well in Russia. Uh, scenes of Russian military um, soldiers in full gear uh, worshiping a god that, uh, you know, the god of Mars. That is, I mean, that's just mind-boggling how mm. the patterns, and of course we, we love to study the Bible uh, in patterns, we see patterns, we see these patterns repeat over and over again, and here we are seeing these patterns, this, this, uh, 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 you know, a spirit of spirituality in, uh, humanity. Wherever we find humanity, we find spirituality and we find the one true God, uh, uh, and his mercy and his grace allowing the survival of, of believers and, uh, it, it's fascinating that uh, another article uh, in, in this issue talks about how the uh, the Orthodox Church scrambled uh, at the time of the revolution in, in 1917. It caused a lethargic uh, state religion. And, of course, you know, one of the things that we lost in World War II uh, World War, starting with World War One uh, and Two, 
destroyed the whole concept of the monarchy in Europe. Uh, and uh, alongside every monarchy, of course, was the church of the state. They couldn't survive without a church of the state because people sought spirituality in their life. And, and so, so there was a unity of church and state uh, that uh, where the church was supported by the state, the state was supported by the church, and they worked yes. in synergy. Yes, thank you. Uh, and that goes back to the days of Charlemagne and Pope Leo, when those two discovered they needed each other in order to survive. Well, do you know that the, if we to amplify that to our current time, that is exactly how the new world order, the new global government is going to be formed. Yeah. It's going to require the merger, the ultimate and final merger of church and state. It's pretty dramatic and scary. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're looking at the amazing history of Russia, Ukraine, and the church. Uh, it was the Russian Orthodox Church, but it was the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, and now the Ukrainian Orthodox Church and the Russian Orthodox Church are at virtual war with one another, just as their political leaders are at war with one another. That's what's happening. And uh, it doesn't come out in our news media but that is exactly what is happening. Now, before we go further, uh, Michael, you are representing again Christian History Magazine. This is one of the one of the greatest, most fascinating is, uh, issues ever. I think, uh, as you said, the editors went beyond their normal uh, way of dealing with things, and this is, this has immense cultural relevance today. Because we can't understand what's happening today unless we understand what happened to 3,000 years ago uh, there in Ukraine and Russia. So uh, tell us how we can get a copy of Christian History Magazine. Well, it's, of course, online at christianhistorymagazine.org.org mm -hmm. and uh, freely available. And uh, uh, you can read all of the past issues uh on, on screen, turn the pages, a wonderful, uh, easy-to-use reader, and also a great search engine to uh, 
research your favorite topics, your favorite people, mm. uh, heroes of the faith, and so forth. So uh, just a great resource. And, of course, the uh, supporters of the ministry want folks to know that, well, you cannot purchase a subscription. It's only by donation. Mm-hmm. And uh, if finances are an issue, uh, just ignore those opportunities to donate. Uh, go ahead and subscribe, and you'll you'll receive at no cost this wonderful magazine in the mail. It's a quarterly, so every uh, three months out comes a new issue, and that gives me and you the opportunity to uh, explore this uh, this incredible history. Well, I always look forward to receiving it, and I have uh, probably almost every single issue that's ever come out. I save them because they're of immense value. Uh, to be able to go back to and uh, relate to, plus they're just they're just fascinating to be able to. They're full of uh, color uh, pictures and art and historical uh, pictures, and the it's just it's hard to describe it uh, as to the treasure that this magazine is. And so people could get it online, Christian history. What is it? Yes. What? Christian History Magazine. Um, it, it also will be accessible. It is accessible at Christian History Institute uh-huh. uh, dot org. But I like to say the, the name of the magazine because uh, sure. this is it. And uh, this this uh, yes, all of these issues are so richly illustrated, especially this one because the art uh, created uh, in Russia and in Eastern Europe was just spectacular and continues to be so. That article that I mentioned interviews a archivist and a uh, 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 an artist in his own right that is collecting and archiving and, and uh, um, uh, developing shows that are uh, and displays that are traveling the world. Now, we in the we in America don't understand this. But the, uh, their relationship to art is quite amazing. It gives me, you know, I, I have, um, of course, avoided idolatry uh, as much as I could in my faith walk and never really wanted to explore what, this, uh, what these paintings and iconography was all about. Um, but in order to do that, you have to go back centuries when, mm-hmm. guess what, along with the financial institution, education, medicine, hospitality, uh, travel, and so forth, all invented by the Christians, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so was art. And the art is just absolutely magnificent. Uh, we don't quite get it, but it's, um, it's fascinating yeah. to, um, to explore how uh, this, this or these Orthodox churches, Greek, Russian, or, and and uh, Ukraine uh, all have this magnificent art that uh, has survived centuries. And and this um, this archivist says that, uh, uh, and I rather appreciated this, that the work that they're doing today is even better than that which which was in ancient times. So they have taken classic art, if you will. Uh, and unlike in the West, where art became, uh, frankly, a joke, uh, a very bad joke, mm-hmm. um, they are creating uh, beautiful art to this day. All right. 
Now, we're going to shift uh, back to the history part of uh, things in order to be able to understand the dynamics of what are taking place even now. Uh, Our government, the governments of uh, Europe, uh, NATO has just received uh, yesterday, I believe it was, Finland as a member of NATO, but Finland was once part of the extension of Russia. And... uh, uh, the Russian Empire was uh, claiming Finland. It has a border that extended the the border of NATO on Russia by double what it was. So you can understand then why Vladimir Putin, representing a nation called Russia, would be concerned about the rapid effort of the West to enclose Russia and thereby threaten Russia. Whether you agree with that or not is not the point. Mm -hmm. That's what they are experiencing, and viewpoint determines destiny. Now, we move beyond that back to the religious aspect, the Christian aspect. And if we go back, we find that uh, a guy by the name of the current president of Ukraine which basically is a Ukrainian version of the name Vladimir. So we have two Vladimirs opposing each other now, one in Ukraine and one in Russia. They're both named Vladimir. Now, there was a Vladimir back in 988 AD who uh, caused all of the Ukrainians to be baptized. He rejected paganism, caused them to be baptized, and it's called the baptism of Rus. Not the baptism of Ukraine, the baptism of Rus, meaning Russia. That's how it was known. But then the Mongols attacked in Kiev in 1240 A.D. It completely upset everything in Ukraine. And as a result of that, the there was a gradual transition of the authority of Russian religion from Kiev in Ukraine to Moscow. Now, isn't this interesting? A transition to Moscow. So after the fall of Constantinople, the, under the Ottoman Turks in 1453 A.D., Muscovy remain the only independent Orthodox state, which leads us to another major, major study of history, and it has to do with the Vatican, Western, the Western papacy, and the Byzantine Church of Constantinople in the East. This is a story that very few people understand. But you cannot understand what's happening right now unless you understand what happened then. Can we, Michael? Uh, not at all. And you, you have just uh, identified a pattern. And we see in that pattern what is going on today. Because Putin, um, you know, our press has not informed us that Putin's motivation was uh, a, a reaction to a threat coming from the West 
that Ukraine would be a part of NATO. And yet and, Ukraine uh, was an essential part of Russia. Absolutely. It was the foundational part of Russia, spiritually. Yes, that's right. Okay. That's right. And uh, the uh, Ukraine Orthodox Church, I, you know, this uh, uh, one of the patriarchs recently, I was stunned to see this. And forgive me, this is just now coming to mind. I wish I could give you the attribution. But this is a, a I saw this on a YouTube um and it was one of the patriarchs of the Ukraine Orthodox Church warning about this vaccine that we're dealing with on a global scale. And he said, this will, in the future, this will prevent you from uh, uh, having the Holy Spirit live within you. Ooh. Why is he saying now that's that? an amazing statement. It is. It's extraordinary. But the reason he's saying that is that these vaccines are are threatening, not only threatening, but they are tinkering with our DNA. Mm. Now, the DNA is, a, is, is the foundation that our, our Father in Heaven uh, built us upon. As, as far as science can, can come up with any evidence, um, there, right there is the greatest evidence that we have a creator. Because we have discovered this incredible uh, uh, system, pattern, system of patterns scientifically in DNA. And isn't it extraordinary that a religious patriarch, uh, spiritually alive, is uh, warning us about one of the greatest threats that we face today? That, that even 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 goes beyond nationhood or one world government thinking in that uh, uh, this uh, this uh, science this medicine uh, which has been captive, held captive now by uh, those who are godless and um, and are brainwashing the the, the entire world it, 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 it seems and and quite successful at doing it has got people taking this very dangerous, un, you know, they refer to it as untested. Fascinating. Well, we're going to get back with yeah. uh, more of this, uh, friends, uh, in just a few moments after this break. Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. I am so frustrated that we only have about 12 minutes left 
and there's so much that we need to talk about. Maybe we'll have to do it again. But despite the criticism from abroad, Russia's parliament, their lower house, overwhelmingly adopted a bill that would curb the influence of religious organizations that would proselytize in Russia. That was reported in the Associated Press. The bill enshrines Russian Orthodox Church as the country's preeminent religion, and supporters of the bill said, quote, Russia needs to protect itself from foreign sects and cults which have been coming in since the 1991 breakup of the Soviet Union. Now, this is opening the way, friends, for a much bigger discussion that leads us back to the fall of Constantinople, which was referred to as the Second Rome. You see, Constantinople was built and formed because of the belief that the the Vatican and the papacy had become heretical. And they believed that the true church had to be reestablished and was done there in the Byzantine Empire at Constantinople. But then the Muslims came in a few centuries later and destroyed Constantinople. The Turks did this, the Muslim Turks. And those that remained were driven to none other than Moscow. So the the second Rome was driven to Moscow, and beginning in the early 1500s, the belief then that rose in Russia and came forth in the form of a prophecy that Moscow or Russia was the third Rome and there would never be another. I want you to consider the implications of that for all of history. That's what they believed. And it invaded all of Russian thinking. It was like a cultural imperative that Russia has become the third Rome, there will never be another. So what does that mean to them? It means they believe, regardless of whether you agree with it or not, they believe that they hold the keys to the Christian destiny of the world. That's what they believe. They're the true Rome. They're the true inheritors of religious orthodoxy from a biblical perspective and if they really believe that then you can understand why they might invest their trust in a man like vladimir putin who is seeking to carry out the resurrection of the roman excuse me of the russian empire are you beginning to get the picture this is what is actually happening why it's happening and why pope john paul ii before before Vladimir Putin ever showed up on the scene, Pope John Paul II said that the greatest enemy that the Roman Catholic Church faced was Russia and the unbelieving West. Those were the two greatest enemies. Now, Michael... When you begin to see the great panoply of history here over the past 2,000, I guess 1,000, 2,000 years, 
We're talking about something that is very dramatic, and the news media knows nothing of this and doesn't dare talk about it because they're so ignorant. That's right. However, uh, those who are studying the Bible, uh, you're taking me to uh, chapter 20 of Revelation. Mm -hmm. Because this is the the, the, uh, armies of the north. Gog and Magog. Yep. Um, and uh, I think we have to, as you say, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, um, you have to be reminded of the, you know, who is these uh, armies of the North, and uh, are they preparing? Because now you've got uh, uh, an ally of Russia, which we didn't expect to have come up, but has, namely China, and uh, in terms of uh, geography, uh, they are also from the north. We have forced if- we have forced Moscow into the arms of China by insisting upon bringing Ukraine into NATO. Mm. Yeah, that's how Vladimir uh, Putin know, sees it. Absolutely. And we need to be thinking like this. Uh, I mean, it's such so tragic that we no longer have a, a press, an, an honest, free press, that um, tells it like it is, uh, if it ever did. Um, but uh, we need to be aware of this. And this needs to be the subject of uh, the sermons that you hear when you go to your church, um, whenever and wherever you do that. Our pastors need to be uh, teaching uh, Revelation 20, and they need to be teaching the patterns that you have pointed out, because it becomes more, it, almost daily, uh, we are seeing a prophecy fulfilled, and uh, the circumstances that which, um, in which prophecy uh, can be fulfilled. All right. Again, so, you were you were coming to us as a representative of Christian History Magazine, uh, which is a wonderful uh, piece that is being provided uh, quarterly to all who will who desire to participate. And uh, there's no attempt to uh, make money. How in the world does Christian History Magazine uh, continue to exist? It's been years now. Well, the good Lord has. Um has, uh, you know, miraculously uh, done this, because um, uh, Bill Curtis, who's now the director of the ministry and executive uh, 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 editor of the the magazine, um, is uh, committed to this magazine, as was his father, who founded it, Tim Curtis. Uh, He was a uh, film documentarian Ken was, and uh, he specialized in uh, biographies of the great uh, heroes of the faith, like Jan Hus, um, uh, who was uh, persecuted by both, uh, well, by the by the Catholic Church, burned at the stake for this outrageous idea that we should be able to read the Bible ourselves. But um, uh, this is a ministry. And I think such an important ministry, and I encourage your listeners to subscribe to this magazine, uh, to go onto the website, use it as a 
uh, a study resource. It's being used in, in our colleges and universities, the ones uh, that are still left that pursue, are pursuing the truth, which are very few, <laughs> sadly. Right. <laughs> but you know what? This continually brings me to, and, and if I may just if you indulge me with a verse from the Bible, uh, because in, in my situation with stage four pancreatic cancer, uh, was facing uh, eternal, the prospect of eternal life and welcoming it and praying to my Father in heaven, if, if this is the way that you wish to take me out of the world, I'm ready, Father, I'm yours, I'm in your hand. Mm. However, uh, I, I chose to, uh, I know he's a pro-life uh, uh, savior, and so I, uh, <laughs> I did what I could to preserve my life that I might serve him. There you it leads me continually to this prayer of Jesus in John 17, where he describes to us, he gives us a dictionary uh, 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 explanation of what eternal life is. And um, this is a pattern that, that uh, has come to mind several times in our conversation. He says, and this is everlasting life, that they should know you. He's speaking to the Father, uh, that they should know you, Father, uh, the only true God. And Jesus, uh, the Messiah, whom you have sent. Now that is a pattern of our Heavenly Father who sends, he, he sent us, um, Adam. He sent us Enoch. He sent us Noah. He sent us Moses. Uh, he sent us Joseph. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on, all leading down to our Savior. Uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, he's told us in times past, I spoke to you through the, uh, my prophets and the law, and in these times, I speak to you uh, through my son. That's Hebrews 1.1. There we so, are. No, and yeah, so no if, if Christ is the, uh, is the only King of kings and the Lord, only Lord of lords, what we have then is a secular battle for king of the mountain that needs religious support for its agenda. And that's where all of this gets really, really interesting. By the it's 1950s, Ukrainian scholars argued that every moment in Russian history was informed by the messianic doctrine of third Rome. Notice the term messianic doctrine of third rome in other words the driving blend of messianic calling coupling religion and political power in a seamless connection with russian culture as the very reason for being of the russian people did not escape the ever watchful gaze of the papacy of first rome that was much concerned about political threats to papal power as it was to religious competition so they, what, what really happened here is that the Pope, under John Paul II, decided that the most important thing for him to do as heading up first Rome was to unite with the spirit of globalism of the Western world to preserve the power of first Rome by facilitating the growing globalism. So that brings us to the move for globalism right now. And uh, unfortunately, 
uh, here, here's what really happened. For John Paul II, uh, it was kind of like fate preempted his faith, and the timetable of destiny was determined through what was called the third secret of the mysterious Fatima vision in 1917, the very year of the Bolshevik Revolution. It was a prophetic ultimatum that could neither be evaded nor avoided by the Pope. It was a fateful timetable in which Russia is the ratchet. That was a quote. That message predicts that a catastrophic change will shortly shatter any plan or designs that men may have established. So, this is all about the ultimate conflict from the Vatican or third, first Rome's view versus third Rome. So, what did John Paul do? He decided to dedicate Russia to Mary, believing that by dedicating Russia to Mary, that would make him the head of first Rome, the master of global destiny. This, this is amazing what he, what he did. Not only did he dedicate his Polish homeland to Mary, but Russia in particular, animated by belief in the geopolitical action and power of Mary as queen of the world. Queen of the world. So what we're looking at now is the final and ultimate merger of or the effort or the final combat between first Rome headed up by the Vatican that will be used as the religious fomenter or support for the new global world order of the West against third Rome, which is the Russian Orthodox Church. This is where things are heading. It's the battle for King of the Mountain, friends. And if you want to know more about that battle and where it really is going and all the details, you might want to get a copy of my book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic End Time Battle, Chapter 18. will reveal it all to you. It's on our website, saveus.org. $15 will put it in your hands. And uh, you can give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. Get a copy of Christian History Magazine. You will not regret it. It is wonderful and fascinating. Michael, thanks so much for joining us, my brother. Such a great uh, pleasure and honor to be with you. God bless you and your wonderful audience. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 